Baseball. This is uh, part two of uh, Sean's story about the American, all-American girls' professional baseball league. That's and right, the league that keeps changing. I am Sean, and I'm Ed. We're doing and baseball, we're bringing you. Yeah, we're doing some baseball, bringing you some baseball history. Part two. Uh, yeah, so we're we're gonna continue with the the post-war years uh, uh, about the. Uh, AAGPBL. Yeah, we're coming uh, to you a week early this week. It's, it's kind of a special episode, sort of, I guess. It's going to be a full episode, but uh, yeah, before we get into it, follow us on Twitter at Doing Baseball and on Instagram at Doing.Baseball. And of course, you've probably found us on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify, but uh, thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends to find us on whatever platform they're listening to. So uh, I guess, Sean, if you don't really have anything else to preface, you can uh, get into the second Not half of your story. Not really. All right. So uh, this is one of those rare ones where you, you actually know what the subject is that you're going to hear about. Um, so let's get into this uh, right away. Um, so World War II is over, and the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League which started as a stopgap measure to entertain war workers and keep Americans interested in baseball, as well as fill the gap in case the MLB had to be suspended. Uh, they've come out of this with a lot of momentum. Things are going well. Uh, if you remember from the past one, uh, Wrigley sold it, uh, but they got a new owner uh, running the league, and things are going really well. Attendance was growing, and the, excited, and the excitement both locally and nationally was starting to rival men's pro ball. Uh, the women of the league had fought an uphill battle, but earned the respect and notoriety by playing tough, exciting, high-skilled baseball. The league had found its niche by locating teams in smaller cities throughout the Midwest and kind of catering to that small city crowd. Mm -hmm. uh, the Muskegon Lassies and the Peoria Red Wings were added to the league in 1946. So, Edzie, uh, you remember how many teams there were before? There was only four. Uh, I think, no, it started with six. So we got what? the Kenosha Comets. Yeah, there were six. Oh. Kenosha Comets, okay. Racine no. Bells, Rockford Peaches, South Bend Blue Sox, right. the Fort Wayne Daisies, and the Grand Rapids Chicks. Oh, okay. I thought there was only four in the beginning. With, I think a, with a 104 game schedule or something. It was uh, it was a very long schedule. <laughs> um, uh, uh, all American girls i'm looking making sure i'm like i have it in my notes here um but I, yeah i could, so I could just be confused because i've recently watched uh, a league of their own i think there was only four in that wasn't there yes i believe so okay so let's look at the league season timeline uh just to be sure on this one and you're correct there was just four to start in 1943 which a league of their own is uh that that is the year that that's supposed to take place in right. uh we're going to be talking about a league of our own obviously at the end of this so so uh yeah we have the kenosha comets the racine bells the rockford peaches the south bend blue Sox, 
Fort Wayne Daisies and the Grand Rapids Chicks, and we're adding to that now the Muskegon Lassies and the Peoria Red Wings. Okay. Uh, so the also continued to evolve and become less like softball and more like baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, sidearm pitching was now allowed, and the base paths were expanded to six or to seventy-two feet. Um, oh, the league was best okay. and not just the teams, but visibility. So spring training in 1946, they headed down to Pascagoula, Mississippi, uh, <laughs> wherever that is. Um, so they wanted to introduce fans, uh, outside the Midwest to the league. Uh, and they also founded a four team minor league, uh, in the city of Chicago. So it was called the oh, Chicago cool. baseball league. Yeah, so they they're really expanding. It's gone from four to six to eight now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got a minor league. Uh, you got Daniel meowing outside your door. The league changed the format uh, uh, and just kept the standings to a full season instead of two halves. They eventually like kind of go back and forth as they lose teams. You'll hear, uh, but yeah, so they they're just doing one big uh, big big standings in 1945. And the playoffs were down to four teams. So an estimated 10,000 people saw a 1946 Fourth of July doubleheader in South Bend, Indiana. A huge crowd at the time. I think you should let the cat in, dude. You think so? (laughs) Yes. The cat's in here now. So carry on. (laughs) The Racine Bells dominated in 1946, winning the league and the playoffs. Uh, The Bells dominated on the mound. Uh, They were led by Joanne Winter, who put together one of the greatest seasons in league history. She won 33 games, pitching to a gaudy 1.19 ERA over 46 games and 346 innings pitched. Holy shit. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of it is they've introduced the sidearm pitching. So, Mm -hmm. obviously, that that probably uh, is more on the pitcher's side than the batter's side uh, going from, from the windmill. Um, so Sophie uh, Curries, I hope I'm saying that right. Sophie Curries, also known as the Flint Flash, led the way on the offensive side of the ball and was named Player of the Year. It, get this, 113 games. She had 112 hits, walked 93 times, wow. scored 117 runs, and just guess how many bases she stole. Okay. I'm going to admit, I th- I've read about this earlier, so it's not that much of a shot in the dark, but 65. Not even fucking, no. No? Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing timing. She stole 201 bases. Holy in shit. Not even bases. close. Not even close. <laughs> so she was on base between, between walks and hits. She was on base. <laughs> Hundred and what did I tell you? Yeah, I know, I know, I know. So she was on base two hundred and five times, and she stole two hundred and one times. So that's absolutely astounding. So Sophie Cur- Curry's, uh, otherwise known as the F- Flint Flash. So the Bells, with those two leading the way, the Bells finished with a record of seventy four and thirty eight, mm-hmm. and beat the Rockford Peaches in the final for the second championship. So Arthur Mayerhoff. Uh, was the man that bought it from Wrigley and kind of took over the whole thing when Wrigley just like lost interest when he figured that the MLB right, wasn't going right. to fold. Um, yes. So were, Max Carey yeah. is his league. Yeah. Yeah. Max Carey is his league president. 
uh, and they have ambitions to expand the league even further, right? So they're kind of expanding. Past eight teams. Uh, Yeah, but also taking it different places too. So remember they went down to Mississippi for Mm -hmm. spring training. Uh, Now they're going to Cuba. Oh, interesting. So 1947, uh, the 200 players and staff headed to Havana, Cuba for spring training. The Cubans had their own uh, female league that they that they did called the uh, Latin American Feminine Baseball League. So that's awesome. So there's already women's baseball nice. on Cuba. Uh, the event was a hit. Hundreds of spectators show up uh, and watch the practices, let alone like the games. Mm-hmm. So they had over fifty thousand fans attend Just the round robin. Baseball crazy down there. Yeah, yeah. So they had a round robin tournament. Uh, between the teams and 50,000 people were were showing up. It was fantastic. Uh, guess who else was in Cuba? The Brooklyn Dodgers. Uh, they were holding their spring training in Cuba because 1947, as we know, is a huge year in baseball history for them mm-hmm. uh, because they have won Jackie Robinson on their, in their spring training. And yeah. uh, he was the team. Uh, so... In order to get refuge from the American South, they used to have their spring training in Florida, uh, and the threats that the Jackie was receiving, uh, they headed to Cuba. <laughs> so that's okay. fucked up. That's interesting, um, but they did but that. under so, terrible circumstances. But anyway, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so that's just an interesting tidbit. So even with the big te- big league team on the island, the females were actually attracting more fans and buzz. Uh, the success of the series became a regular occurrence after this, uh, and the league scooped up some of the most talented players from Cuba. Eulalia Gonzalez was the first uh, woman from Cuba to play for the professional baseball in the United States, and she joined the Racine Bells. But due to language barrier, homesickness, and likely some discrimination Se- and racism issues. Well, I mean, it's, it's it's up in the Indiana and Wisconsin and Chicago and stuff. Like, that's yeah. not as big, but at the same point, yeah, there's still, like, it's not a great time to be a minority anywhere. But I just, I mean, I just meant the league in itself. I'm actually surprised that they had the Cuban players because in the last episode we talked about how it remained segregated for its entire history. However, I do know that, you know, they kind of sort of looked the other way if for like Hispanic players. Yeah, though well, that's that's basically what happened here is yeah. is they were I mean, I did I did get remember reading one quote where they they talked about like light-skinned Cubans. Like so it was still like uh, racism mm-hmm. like and I'm sure so so Eulalia Gonzalez came she only played a few games for the Racing Bells and then was like fuck this I'm going home. Um so but more followed in her footsteps Mirtha Marrero, uh Luisa Gallegos, uh Magalia Perez and Georgiana Rios, Gloria Ruiz and Zonia Violet. Uh, they all traveled to the United States and debuted in the league during the 1948 season. So this became like a regular thing. And as it became more of a regular thing, more women were coming and stuff. And some of them just ended up staying in the United States, uh, especially after the, the Castro revolution and stuff mm-hmm. uh, a few years later. So 
So it's definitely uh, interesting, but there's definitely the, uh, some of them just came and were like, no, fuck this. We don't like this. <laughs> Imagine going from like <laughs> Cuba to Wisconsin. Like <laughs> that'd be yeah, a pretty big difference. Yeah. Especially once, yeah. like if you make the playoffs, once the playoffs are over, it's a big drastic change all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sure they'd go home. Wisconsin but winters. But it was also a lot of stuff. Like, we'll get to it. It, it, it was wild, these seasons that these women were having. So 1946 uh, to 1948 was the peak of the league. In 1948, the league expanded once again and added the Springfield Sallies and the Chicago Colleens. Uh, with 10 teams now, they created an East and West division. It also increased the distance from the mound uh, to home plate by 50 feet, finally permitted overhand pitching, and the ball size was decreased. So they are almost at like major league yeah, size balls. Now it's still a little bit bigger um, and they're at 50 feet. So they're still 10 feet closer than, than in the big leagues or 10 and a half feet. Yeah. Um, it's a so le- the it's, it's getting less and less of a hybrid each time. Yes. Yes, yeah. exactly. Every, every couple of years they keep the, yeah. So the league set a record for attendance in 1948, uh, almost 1 million people, uh, saw a women's baseball game in person that year. So uh, about 910,000 uh, people paid to see them. Uh, so this was a high watermark for the league, but things would never be as good as they were in those three post-war years. The Sallies and the Colleens didn't even last one season in the league before splitting off and becoming touring teams. These teams would tour the South and the East playing exhibitions and recruiting new talent. Uh, they even had an exhibition at Yankee Stadium and Griffith Park in D.C. So these two teams just were like, yeah, they, they I don't even think they finished the year. I just figured we can, this is costing too much. We can make more money barnstorming. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, I think they just decided like, oh, OK. Um, so, yeah, they took off. So we're back to eight teams again. That was just a one year thing. Uh yeah, but I, so basically they kind of expanded just a little bit too quick too, and it was like a good thing at first, mm. uh, but then it just slowly things start to fall apart, right? So the league had pushed to expand, and life for women on the team was exhausting with so much travel. They played eight games a week, normally six at night, and a doubleheader on Sunday afternoon. Wow! So that that's, that's very a, taxing. Yeah, yeah. So they, there is uh, some amazing quotes and stuff I read. Uh, that, that, you know, talked about uh, just like praying for rain and stuff like that because you got a day off, Yeah, uh, you know, especially if you were banged up. So um, as I uh, quote here, uh, the one real hardship was that we traveled by bus. Many's the Saturday night we'd play our game, uh, our ball game, get something to eat, board the bus at midnight, ride all night, get get in just in time to go to the hotel, put on our uniforms, and go out on the field for a doubleheader, LeVon Pepper Perry said. So, yeah, <sighs> it's a tough schedule, uh, and now you're traveling even more, so you have less, you know, series with – you have more series against more teams. Yeah. Uh, getting to the rules we talked about in part one, which was the most ridiculous part of that episode, uh, even in these conditions, the women were expected to look their best and follow the dress code. You could ride the bus in blue jeans or shorts, but if you got off, you had to put a skirt on, even at midnight. Or, and I mean even at midnight. Sue Kidd uh, was a pitcher. Yeah, that was her quote. Jeez. Uh, yeah. So just you like absolutely no exceptions to the rules, eh? 
even if you're getting off a bus to pee at midnight, you had to doll yourself up apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing uh, we touched upon, but we didn't really discuss at the time or in last episode was uh, the homophobia that led to most of these rules back in like the forties and fifties. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so quote from Dottie green, uh, these lesbians, they dress like men with those big pants and big shoes. Most of them, they all had boyish bobs. So that's Dottie Green, who is a former AAGP PBL player, and mm-hmm. she was a chaperone as well. So she told that to Susan K. Kahn uh, in her book, Coming on Strong, Gender, Sexuality, in the 20th Century Sports. So I don't know if she's saying that like as a bad thing or just saying that like this is what they thought lesbians were yeah. at the time. At the time. Um, so there were rules about not fraternizing with the other team. The rule was said to be in place to maintain a competitive spirit, but, uh, but the stiff fines were imposed on players who violated the, the rule. Uh, and that was mainly based out of the fear of lesbianism. So Johnny Gottselig, uh, who we talked about in the first one, the well, they, guy. Just, they were like, no, yeah, the hockey guy. So he suspected two of his players were lovers and barred them from rooming together. When they protested, he considered it proof that they were banging each other. So, who knows? What? But they were just like so terrified of two women being together that they were just like, no, can't have that. Uh, even if you're just like, yeah, there's no real proof. He just like thought it and was like, you guys can't stay in the same room anymore. They were like, that's stupid. And he's like, I told you you were lesbians. <laughs> it's. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's ridiculous. So one manager released two of his players because he even, thought they. I, I don't even have words. Like, oh, I, I didn't finish my sentence there, and you definitely won't have words after this one. Okay. So one manager released two of his players because he thought they were gay and was worried that it would contaminate the rest of the team. Contaminate. Anything? Contaminate. That is the. Uh, it's in quotes, but yeah, it, that that is what he thought. What a bastard. Yeah, so Dot Wilkinson was one of the greatest softball players of the era. She was making adult teams by the age of 11, and she wanted no fucking part in the league. (laughs) Yeah, she was good. Uh, She didn't want any of the charm school, any of the beauty tips, any of the dress code. Uh, She wanted to play, play, but, I mean, she was from Arizona, I believe. She did play in, like, you know, a semi-pro women's, like, softball league or whatever, like... And like a national kind of, uh, she was, she was just that like, yeah, either way. So this is what she had to say. We were born at a time when we were all in the closet and that was, and that was just the name of the game. Wilkinson said, and you have to live with it. And that's what we did. But she was just like, yeah, like, fuck it. I'm gay and I'm, I don't care. I'm not, I'm not wearing a dress all the time and putting lipstick on to play the game. Like I'm just going to play down here and not get paid. Mm-hmm. So fuck it. Uh, well, so unlike Wilkinson, her, many gay. Yeah. I mean, at the time, yeah, that's, uh, you know, it was certainly not, uh, not a yeah popular thing to do, yeah. but unlike Wilkinson, many gay formed, uh, for the love of the game and the opportunity it brought them. Uh, it also it could also provide cover with the exhausting schedule. Nobody would question why they weren't dating or finding a husband. Um, so yeah, that is the thing. So one of the best pitchers ever to play in the league, uh, Gene uh, Sion. I really hope I'm saying that right. 
Gene, Gene, J E A N, and then I believe Sion, C I O N E. So look her up. Amazing. She was one of the best players in the league. Uh, she played 10 seasons, uh, throwing three no hitters, had three 20 win seasons, and an unassisted double play or triple play under her belt. So nice. fuck yeah. That's quite a career. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. So Sion's partner, Ginny Hunt, told uh, the Bozeman Daily Chronicles after her death if you didn't experience watching a baseball game with her, you really missed something. It was a treat to watch a game with her. She analyzed every play. So that was her partner, Ginny Hunt, uh, eulogizing her and her love of the game. So mm-hmm. it was, uh, there were lots of these amazing women that were gay, but, but had to be in the closet at the time. Yeah. Absolutely. So there's actually a really interesting, I haven't seen it yet, uh, but it's, uh, there's a 2020 documentary called A Secret Love that was released on Netflix uh, that depicts Terry Donahue, who was a catcher in the league for four years in Peoria, and her partner, Pat Henschel. Uh, so they met when Terry was in the league and mm-hmm. they've been together since that, I believe it was like 1947. They've right. been together and they're still together to this day. Right. Uh, and they hid, they hid their relationship from their family for like decades. They like didn't come out to their family until like the well into their like seventies, I think. Mm-hmm. So that, that is like one thing that you don't hear about a lot in this league. And that was one thing that like, some people like lament like it's not represented really in a league of their own it's like, i would say it's not really represented at all no not at, yeah not at all there's not really but, any any mention of a certainly not an openly gay character or anything i mean it doesn't sound well, like that's they were openly gay at there the, at the time but uh yeah, I guess it could be implied. You get thrown out of the in... league. You you get, but yeah, you get thrown out of the league if you were openly mm-hmm. gay. That's mm-hmm. the thing. That's the that's the fucked up part. Like that's the whole like even if they suspected it, you wore jeans and they were like, "You're a lesbian." Like, right, <laughs> it is, right. Very low it criteria. Is, yeah. Yeah. So in nineteen forty nine, the league was back to eight teams. No longer had east and west divisions. All that stuff. Uh, Rockford Peaches and the South Bend Blue Sox tied for the uh, league pennant with records of 75 and 36. But the Peaches swept the Sox in a best of seven and won the playoff title as well as defeating. Yeah, so they 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 had like because they tied for the pennant, they had to play a series for the pennant and the Peaches swept them. Mm-hmm. Then the Peaches went into the playoffs and defeated the Fort Wayne Daisies to win uh, the playoff championship. Lois Florick. Uh, pitched 260 innings for the Peaches, put up an astounding 0.69, very nice ERA. Uh, 0.69. Is 20 er- yeah, so 20 earned runs in 260 innings. Holy. And now they're, so this was, now they're officially throwing overhand now. So 1949, okay. yeah, so they can throw overhand. So once again, uh, yeah. It's not looking good for hitters. So she absolutely dominated Lo- Lois Florek. Uh, Florek? Uh, yeah. So absolutely <laughs> one of the best years ever. And throwing 260 innings in a schedule that only has like 110 games too. Like Yeah, that's wild. insane. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess it's a, it's a 111. But right. still. Still. Absolutely. Um, the Peaches defended their title in 1950. But at the end of the season – Team directors voted to purchase the league from Arthur Mayerhoff. 
Uh, yeah, and sales. they wanted to operate the team. Yeah, so they wanted to operate each team kind of independently like a franchise. Mm-hmm. And Mayerhoff sold. Max Carey resigned as league president and was replaced by his assistant, Fred Leo. No centralized control of publicity, promotion, and player procurement, uh, as well as equalization of player talent, the league began to break down. So they took like the central control away from the league, and the league was already like slightly fading. Like as we saw, those two teams couldn't really maintain. Right. And now things are really getting worse. Well, they try to. They think this is going to make it better, but it's not. Mm-hmm. So attendance was shrinking. And the post-war glow and wartime rationing were all over. People began to travel more freely, and Major League Baseball began to be broadcast on television, which, as we get into the 50s, more and more people were able to get television. So why go out on a Saturday afternoon to see a baseball game or the Sunday doubleheader if you got, you know, Saturday afternoon baseball on the CBS? You got cold lemonade Uh, in the fridge. With the Exactly. You go bathroom, you just, yeah, it's great. So with the owners being independent instead of collective, uh, you couldn't handle the loss of revenue. Recruitment was also difficult uh, without a centralized plan to recruit people. The Mm -hmm. league now played hardball as well. So the, yeah, so the league's playing hardball, basically. They're, they're playing almost full baseball. Yeah. Um, but many of the girls grew up still playing softball or, and so it's tough to make that adjustment, right? right. So they've like kind of created like her. their own sort of league, like, you know, niche group of players separate. And, you know, their recruit, their recruiting, uh, class is kind of disappeared yeah. because they've, essentially changed what game they're playing right so yeah well we we know there was many girls that grew up playing like hardball but most of them probably by their teenage years weren't able to play with the boys anymore Mm -hmm. and then so if anything they turned to softball and then now all of a sudden you're just facing so it's just tougher to get women to that were good enough essentially so talent start all off a bit uh after 1951 one of the inaugural teams uh, the Kenosha Comets disbanded, along with the basement-dwelling Peoria Red Wings. So the Red Wings only lasted five years, and now one of the first teams, the Comets, are out of the league. Yeah. Um, Racing Bells moved to Battle Creek, Michigan in 51 as well, then to Muskegon in 1953 before folding at the end of the year. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the Racing Bells, one of the first teams, they start moving around trying to find good ownership. So by 1954, only five teams remained. Fort Wayne Daisies won the league but lost in the playoffs to the Kalamazoo Lassies. In the final playoff series in All-American Girl Pro Baseball League history, um, yeah, that was between so that was between the Daisies and the Lassies. That was the final okay. series ever. Daisies won it. Um, Lassies. So the last game, yeah. No, the Daisies won over the Lassies. Oh, I thought you said the Lassies won. No. Four Wayne Daisies won the league, but lost in the playoffs to the Lassies. I'm a fucking idiot. All right, all right. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> say. I, I was like, no, it's right in front of me. It says Fort Wayne Daisies won, and then I'm like, oh, that's part of the sentence, Sean. Um, so the last game was September 5th, 1954. I'm not on my game tonight. I'm sorry, people. Um, Joanne Weaver of the Daisies had one of the greatest offensive seasons ever. This is some fucking shit. This is amazing. So 93 games, she hit 
429 with an on base of 526. God damn. 526. Yeah. Yeah. What was so their OPS? This was some like. It, it, uh, I don't know. <laughs> you don't I don't have, have her slugging. slugging percentage in front of me right now. She did hit 29 home runs in 333 at bats. So, yeah. And, you know, if the average MLB player gets uh, 650 at bats, that's on pace to, for like 58, 57 home runs. That's pretty good. So, she had a year like she went off like she had some good years before this but oh my god she went off mary bonds um, so, yeah yeah it was something steroids <laughs> yeah. um but just like that so after 1954 that's it uh bill allington had a female barnstorming team that played for a few more years called the allington all-stars but only a handful of women women could play for that team uh the rest had to turn the page and move on uh, so, quote, then came the news that there was to be no more professional girls baseball, and it was like a death in the family for me, said Sarah Jane Sands, a right fielder and catcher for the Peaches, who had just broken into the league two years prior at the age of 18. Mm. So it just sucks. Like, yeah, you just, yeah, you just joined the league. You're 20 years old, whatever. You just got two seasons and you're excited for the future and then it's, it's a, gone. And it's a well-paying job. Yeah, it's a really well paid. Yeah. Job. Like that's that is the one thing if you hadn't listened to part one, like this is like they're being paid, you know, better than any other women at the time for pretty much any other job. Uh, as you'll find out, like women didn't go to university and stuff back then, right? It was rather most of the work that women were doing during the war was either secretarial or war work in the factories, right? So there were lots of jobs for women at the time. Um, but as we get into the 50s and stuff, there is much more uh, propaganda and and attitude that women should be back in the home and stuff like that. Like one woman, I didn't actually include it in the book. Okay, so in the book. Uh, so uh, <laughs> In the story. From in the, the story book. from the book but there is anyway so the from the book uh remember the woman that lost her husband and and thought he was dead in the war right. but like played the game without right. telling anybody but then it turned out her husband he was, was alive, alive. Yeah. yeah so he came home and he was like oh i'm home and she was like great this is great and things were good and then she's like i'm gonna go play baseball and he was like no i'm home now and she was like, fuck you, I'm going to go play baseball. <laughs> so she ended up divorcing the man that she like, that, yeah, she thought was dead at one point and ended up marrying somebody else that would let her play baseball. Mm. So it was very liberating for women too. Like that's right. what I mean. This league was such an opportunity for these women. Uh, and we'll get, uh, let's just get more into that. So the well, memories of the league. Good for her. Made, that's just very ironic. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so the memories of the league faded and many women spoke of being dismissive when they brought up that they used to play professional baseball. Um, but in 1982, three decades later, the league had, uh, their first reunion, uh, and it was covered by good morning America. So three decades or, you know, 28 years after, after the end of the league, uh, Good Morning America covers this, and you know, all of a sudden, people are talking a little bit. Oh yeah, there is this women's baseball league. So, a few years after that, that, 1988, the National Baseball Hall of Fame creates its women in baseball exhibit. So, we've been there, we've mm -hmm. seen this exhibit. Uh, it's very, very all American girls professional baseball league tilted, but there is other like Mamie Johnson and Tony Stone and stuff. I believe are in there as well. Right. Um, 
so uh, yeah, one uh, one of the first people to see the exhibit was feed was filmmaker Penny Marshall. Uh, Penny Marshall went on to create one of the most iconic baseball movies of all time, A League of Their Own, starring Tom Hanks, Gina Davis, Madonna, and Rosie O'Donnell. The film takes place in 1943, but the rules on the field we see in the film were actually based on a later version of the league, as we now all know. So, Edzie, you you did your homework? You watched watched the movie? I watched it a couple times. All right, Rose and Thorn, best best and worst part. Best and worst, okay. The best part is, oh, I don't know. It's hard to say because, like the 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 best part is, and the worst part is almost like the same thing, depending on like your perspective on the movie. I guess, sort of. I'm intrigued. Like the go mo- on. Well, I told you I was talking to you earlier, and I said that like I don't like the ending. Yeah, what don't you like about the ending? Well, like, do you not like that she walks away from the game, or do you not like that like the the sisters have the collision? Kit goes for the inside the park home run. Yeah, I don't like that. Kit is like such a baby and then gets awarded at the end for it. Yeah, well, that's baseball, buddy. <laughs> I guess, but yeah, I don't but know. Here's the thing did, 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 did she drop it on purpose? That That's the biggest thing that is I've, I've seen asked about the movie. I guess so. Like, yeah. Did she? Did, no, but did she? I don't think she did. I don't think I don't think, I don't think she did either. You no, know, but like that's a question though. It puts the question in your mind. Like, like, did she want? Like, did did her? Did she really just want her sister to be the hero? And she like was just like, oh, but like, no. I think they were like she was so competitive. Like, I I think they just she just dropped the ball. I I <laughs> I agree with your uh, summation of that. But uh, I the reason I don't like the end and like how I'm saying how she was such a baby and then she gets like all the glory is I think it like sends like a crummy message. Cause like, you know, she's getting all these like, uh, cheers from the crowd for like, as if she like, you know, saved the team or won the championship for the team. She did. She like murdered her sister with a brutal. I don't know. I I think she, I think she selfishly ran through the stop sign for her own glory and just happened to happen to uh, <laughs> get lucky. Happened to get lucky. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You're such a curmudgeon. You and Buck show up. And it down. Um, <laughs> so she would have yeah, been out so, in today's game. Yeah. No. You're totally right. She would have been out in today's game. So, so also interesting that, that they totally like you, I had to watch it again to make sure, but it's totally just like overhand. The ball is the same size. Like it's none of the actual, other than the uniforms and stuff. Like, like they don't even make the diamond and the pitching mountain seem like they're, they're closer or whatever. Mm -hmm. Cause as I say, the base pass were not like they were, I think they started at 60 some and then 70. I don't know. You listen. I think it's, I think it's like easy to criticize that when like you kind of know the history of like, the league for an entire decade or so. Yeah. 
and you know they're tra- just, they're obviously I, trying to show you know the excitement of the league in a movie that's two hours and something um, yeah, yeah yeah so like they're they're probably just going through it being like okay what's going to be the most exciting era of of you know play to show so they probably just went straight for the hardball right but yeah well hanks's character do you know who he's based on uh no the so hockey Jimmy guy Fox. no jimmy <laughs> fox <laughs> okay so that's the other thing that's another historical uh if he really was based on jimmy fox jimmy fox did not manage in the league until 1952 so okay. that is yeah so that is the other thing uh gina davis's character was loosely based on dorothy dotty Kamenshek, who, uh, unlike the character in the movie, actually played 10 seasons in the league and was a perennial all-star. So okay. she played she played almost the league's whole existence. The other thing, um, the other thing I was going to say is that Rockford did not go to the first championship. No, they did not. Championship. No. I love that you noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, they did not. Um, so, yeah, they obviously, you know, switched that up a little bit. I, I mean, they could have. You know, I wonder why they didn't decide to do the actual two teams that uh, mm-hmm. that made it to the championship in the first. Yeah, because it's would've... it's kind of arbitrary when you really think about it. Like it, I mean, it's it's key that Kit gets traded to Racine, but yeah, you know, yeah. they don't really have to be Rockford in order for yeah. the rest of the movie to make sense. No, exactly. Well, yeah, and uh, I don't know why they didn't decide that they were the Kenosha Comets, but they 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 did for whatever reason. Um, so yeah, there is also, what was the other part about the, oh yeah, apparently there's a deleted scene where Gina Davis and Tom Hanks kiss on the bus, <laughs> which is just, I, I guess it I don't seemed know, like that's it, where it was going. I felt like yeah. that's where that was going to go on the bus. Okay. But that, that was apparently <laughs> pure movie executive bullshit that Penny Marshall was like, fuck you. Like, no, that's not happening. They're yeah. like, film it anyways. Yeah. And she was like, and then like managed to like get her way yeah uh so thank you so thank you well yeah especially like she's the whole point is she's married and she's worried about her husband over like bill pullman you're married to bill like tom hanks is great like but yeah, yeah the space balls guy way. come on space balls. <laughs> <laughs> um so uh levon pepper davis who played 11 years in the league and once actually punched an umpire in the face for calling her out at second because she beat the tag, apparently consulted on the film and was one of the co-writers. Uh, yeah. So she was consulted on the film and not only that, but you know, the song in the movie, right. she co-wrote the song that was in the movie. Like oh, she cool. co-wrote it like way back in 1944. So another historical song. inaccuracy. Yeah. But that song was not written until 1944. Oh, that song didn't, uh, it wasn't even out yet. Yeah. So uh, LaVon Pepper Davis uh, was one of the co-writers of that song. Uh, she was alive uh, and consulted. So she was one of the ones really, uh, she played 11 years in the league. So I think that was the whole league's existence. Um, so she was one of the few. So she was the consultant to make sure things were right. Obviously we, we talked about the inaccuracies, but like, I mean, it's a pretty, it's just a great little baseball movie. In my opinion, I hadn't seen it in a long time. That's uh, that's, that's, it was great. No, it is great. Uh, Rosie O'Donnell is yeah. like an amazing, intense third baseman. You know, I'm convinced that most third basemen are insane. So, yeah, Rosie O'Donnell plays a great Rosie. third baseman. <laughs> like in the in the seventh game, 
when the pitcher throws uh, the ball in the dirt and she's yelling at the umpire that it looked pretty good to her. <laughs> I love that part. That's the yeah. best part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got to say, I, I didn't do my my favorite, but I definitely love the uh, the that's the that's the bump of like use your head that's the lump above your ass Mm -hmm. that is probably one of the best lines tom hanks like i mean there's no crying in baseball but i i think that one's way better (laughs) yeah and then she rosie Rosie does a callback to the bump about three feet above their ass later on yeah 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 yeah, Yeah. she does she does that's right um so the popularity of the film uh which was released i believe in 1992 uh so it revitalized the generation to everybody you know all of a sudden it was common knowledge that this league kind of existed if you were in the pop culture because madonna was in it rosie o'donnell Donald, Gina Davis, mm-hmm. Tom Hanks, huge, huge cast at the time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was that's that's like the the thing that we all know. So now we know like the whole history behind it. Um, but beyond the film, there was actually a whole big legacy that really, really resonates even to this day. Uh, World War II had pushed women into positions in society thought impossible a few years before. It gave these women a chance to play baseball, but more importantly, it gave these women a chance to experience the world something that was nearly unheard of for them before. Women from small-town America and Canada and Cuba got the opportunity to prove themselves on the ball field, and that translated into a streak of independence that bucked the the centuries-old traditions of what we call the weaker sex. So the league gave 600 women a chance to play professional baseball in total. 600 women played in the league roughly. Uh, These women became idols for young girls and women everywhere. And they actually went on to do absolutely amazing things, pushing women's rights to a new level, even after the war was long over and the role of housewife and was imposed and propagandized upon them. At the time, roughly 5% of American women completed a four year college program but over half of the 600 who played in the league went on to earn their bachelor's, master's, or PhDs. We can only imagine this would not have been the case had these women not got a chance to play baseball. And that's part two. That's part two. Nice. So they really, uh, they really, yeah, like they blew, They most of them, as I say, they earned money. They had their own money. They were able to afford an education. They mm-hmm. were able to go and get an education, and they all went on to do – well, not all of them, but most of them went on to do pretty yeah. cool things too. Like you say, we were like able to kind of see the world from a different perspective than what was would have normally been you know, available to them and you know, inspired them to go and do something more with the – money they earned i guess so yeah no it's a it's an interesting story uh once again i have to give props to uh annika oruk uh oruk her amazing amazing video or video her amazing amazing (laughs) book uh the incredible woman of the all-american girls professional baseball league uh it's a illustrated book it's the illustrations are fantastic the history is fantastic uh, I didn't use it nearly as much for this episode, but I mean, the quotes are all uh, taken from the book because she uh, archived it and interviewed so many of these amazing women. Uh, the AAGPBL.org, I believe it is, is the website for the league where you can learn 
all about the history as well. Um, that was just a fantastic resource. Uh, they, they have all the leagues, all the stats, all the players and stuff. So uh, read a lot about that, um, which was super amazing. And uh, yeah, that was a story I was looking forward to telling, but I didn't realize was going to be so in-depth and, and mm-hmm. so long. So uh, Yeah, well, it's not surprising now that I know more about that league and all the evolution that it went through over over its history that's uh yeah 11 11 years mm-hmm. 11 seasons mm-hmm. it, yeah it's it's too bad that uh there's not something uh at that sort of level in existence right now or at least not on my well, radar. we have the well we have the uh women's hockey league right that just started up right right the Toronto Six. Support your Toronto Six. Uh, yeah, it's uh, women's sports and uh, women's baseball is amazing. Yeah, that's all I can say. Is is this was way better of a story than I than I thought it would be, and League of Their Own is is a way better movie than I gave it credit for before doing this too. Yeah, and and don't get me wrong, I like the movie. I just don't. Yeah, yeah. I don't like Kit's character. How she's such a baby. She doesn't just bear down at the end and just fucking go out there and do it. Yeah, fair enough. They have to, like, coax her out of the dugout, pretty much. Yeah, well. (laughs) What can you do? You've watched it, like, way... I watched it, like, three weeks ago now, so I I can't even remember that. Watch it again. But I, I just remember... I will watch it again, but, like, just... I, I I watched that end part. Like, did she drop the ball on purpose? Like, that's all. I don't think so. No, I think Kit had the drive, but I think she had the drive in the end. And she all did right. bear down. Okay, you're kind of convincing me. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I don't know. I don't know. I could see. I convince myself when I think about it. Anyways, uh, yeah, follow us on Twitter at Doing Baseball and Instagram at Doing.Baseball. Uh, we're going to be around next week. Uh, and then two weeks after that, back on our regular schedule, uh, it's Black History Month in February. Uh, so we will be covering some amazing uh, stories of black history in American baseball. Yep. Until next time. <laughs> Until next time. Uh, I'm Sean. <laughs> and I'm Eds. We were doing baseball. <laughs> and we were doing. Yay. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs>